I want to do a shout out to one of our amazing partners, Banzoogle. Now, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website for artists. Now, I have personally have used web builders for years. In fact, the 8020 Records website is maintained by yours truly. But honestly, these days, as someone who represents artists, I just want something straightforward that still looks amazing and works with everything that we use, such as Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Bands of Town, Printful, and so forth. And Banzoogle checks off all of these. Also, for those of you who have no idea how to build websites, don't worry, they make it super easy there too. You do not need to know a single line of code. In fact, after you sign up, they go step-by-step step through each part of the process to get you up and running. Plus, their pricing is practically the same as if you paid for a web host. So really, it's a no-brainer. Lastly, and most importantly, what I love about Banzoogle is the people. Every single person I've spoken to has been nothing but kind and extremely responsive and helpful. They truly care about the artists that use their platform. And honestly, don't just take my word for it. Go listen to my interview with Stacy Bedford, the CEO of the company. Banzoogle is also offering to all our listeners 15% off the first year of any subscription. Just enter the promo code 8020show or 8020show, like the numbers, on banzoogle.com. I'll also put it in the description. Built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle. You're listening to The 8020 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The 8020 Show. I am your fantastic host. I'm going to change that up a little bit. Mike Zimmerlich. And my next guest is Adam Sears, who's the founder and frontman of the progressive space opera rock band Lobate Scarp. Now, in this interview, we discuss how his passion for music and theater has led him to creating the band, and how it came to be that members of Spock's Beard and the band Yes are featured in their upcoming album. We also dive into crowdfunding, as Adam has done several campaigns that have been both successful as well as failures. It is my absolute honor and pleasure to give you Adam Sears. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Hey, Mike, how's it going? It's doing good. Thanks so much. <laughs> oh, man, you know what? Today, it's not even a Monday where we're recording. Yeah. It's a Tuesday. I don't even know why I'm having a problem even speaking today. It's just it's been... Tuesday. It's Tuesday because it's Tuesday. Two, 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 22, 22 on a Tuesday. So therefore, it's Tuesday. Lots of twos in the Tuesday. Yeah. So for everyone listening, this is how quick we're, we're turning around this interview. Literally we're doing it a week prior to when it's going to be published. So yeah, it's technically the day we're recording this is 2 22, which is actually kind of ironic to be interviewing you on this day. <laughs> this was the day that I was supposed to have my album out, but it got a little delayed. So <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I do, I always do this with all my guests. I want to get started by asking you, how did you get into music uh, in the first place? Uh, my parents were always into music. You know, they had, we always had uh, a record player playing something every day. Um, and I would always go through the records and say, oh, let's play this, let's play this. Yeah. And then like my parents have always been into music and uh, uh, movies and uh theater and so i always was sort of brought up in that in that culture um you know and, and that's how i got into like rock and you know they like classic rock but they also like classical music and then they brought me up uh playing piano i've been uh i took piano lessons from the time i was five till i was 10. so yeah um and then uh, yeah and then i got into musical theater of course like my very first show was i think wizard of oz when i was six <laughs> Uh, did you know that you want to get into musical theater was because your parents uh had you watch so. a lot of films and you know yeah. did you go to a lot of shows or musicals as a kid i think when i got when i when i was starting to do it when i was six i think i just got into um you know i didn't really know what i was getting into but they had me go to um you know later on they had me go to like overnight camp and and we'd like put on a musical and bye bye birdie and stuff like that and I, that's kind of like how i got into it and i'm like this is really cool you know um, you just kind of all get together and, and make a plan. You're, up, you're singing, you're dancing. I don't know. I just thought it was a neat kind of world, you know, because I didn't. Um, and I was just a kind of unique thing to me. And I just enjoyed the experience of uh, putting something like that together. 
so it's collaboration was that the point in time that you thought about being in a band because you have a lot of experience you know a lot of interest in in classical music and rock music and yeah i had interest there but there's a big difference between you know playing music you exactly. know playing piano and then transitioning into more of a theatrical experience yeah you know the funny thing is when i was a kid right what i wanted to do most was uh be a dj i wanted to be a music dj uh in fact when i was a kid i i made uh these cassette tapes me pretending i was a dj on our local radio station and i had a dual cassette deck and i would like kind of tapes up from the radio and like maybe they were talking to um callers or they would like throw contests so i would like i would erase the dj's voice out and put my voice in there and so you're so it's me like talking to you know the callers you know so and then i would play like my favorite music or sometimes i would like mix things up and like kind of make my own mixes and you know so from the time I, and i would play it around the the neighborhood as well so some people maybe some people thought i was weird but you know i think we were all like you know we didn't have the internet back then so people would just kind of like hang out outside the lawn and then you know i would play some music and i'd be like do my dj thing you know and people were like oh you know <laughs> it's like a built-in audience <laughs> you know it's funny that you mentioned that uh something i actually don't really talk about much but when i was around 14 15 years old i would say i really was getting into uh, audio editing of all things so i got this program called it was uh called sony acid it was their mm. acid program and it was a looping software so i basically take their samples that they had and you know change it figure out how to change the keys that's how i learned how to do panning between left and right channels yeah. like i learned all that stuff just by trying things out and i remember burning it onto a cd and uh, I made up a fake band name called Keratin, which I literally found in like a dictionary. It was a biological term. And I thought great. that sounds like a cool name. And so I would show it to my friends and they kept on making fun of me. So it's like, I was like, all right, fine, whatever. But it was so much fun. And I, that's how I originally learned audio production was by just having this looping software. My folks would literally give me as Christmas gifts, uh, sample packs of on CDs of different types of sounds and I would install it and I would just play around with that stuff. Oh, that's great. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so I used to do the, uh, you know, that DJ thing. And it's funny thing is like, I actually made tapes like all the way through college. It later beyond came like more of a, like a diary for me. Uh, but at first it was like, yeah, I was like a DJ in my make, and then I was like a DJ in my own make-believe radio station. And then I would have some friends come out and we do, would, we would do skits like my friend, Danny, he would come over and we would do like a, like a skit called a uh, loud man and soft man. I was like, soft man. I was like, hi, I'm soft man. And he was like, oh, loud man. And like, <laughs> you know, like we would walk around and, you know, he like, and uh, like the, the scene is like, you know, he sees like a hot girl, like, like down the street and, and he's like, loud man, look at that hot girl down the street. She's awesome. She's got big, you know, I won't yeah. use PG-13s, <laughs> yeah. so I won't say, yeah. but, but, and I was like, loud man, you're so loud. She could hear you. <laughs> you know, stupid stuff like that. I mean, we thought it was funny back in the day. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> but we did all sorts of things. So I always had kind of like a music thing going on. I always would like to perform. I always just kind of wanted to entertain. And then later on in high school, um, I, I took musical theater more uh, seriously. And, and then in college, I was I had a Bachelor of Fine Arts in musical theater performance because um, that's what I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to go to Broadway and do music, do musical theater. But instead, I came to LA because I like the weather better. <laughs> oh wow! And and uh, and I then I started uh, my my prog rock band, Low Bait Scarp, which is definitely has uh, ties to musical theater in that regard. So so I'm still kind of doing musical theater, but in my own in my own way. <laughs> That's incredible. So was there a specific point in time that you realized that you wanted to create your own project? In this case, Low Bait Scarp. Yeah, there was. So I was uh, after college, I joined a acapella group um, called Blind Man's Bluff. Uh, we were a vocal rock band, technically, but, we, you know, it was all, we had a per, uh, vocal percussion guy and then four other singers. And uh, I was the bass guy. I was I did all that, you know, that stuff. And we had some effects, which was kind of cool. Like I had like an octave, octaver effect and like we used a lot of like guitar effects that we that we um, uh, put through our voices. Um, yeah, and then, so we were in, at that time I was, uh, 
listening to a lot of um yes a lot of um newer bands like spock's beard that i discovered um probably about yeah so this was about probably about 2000 when, when i discovered spock's beard and my friend from childhood lonnie wyatt he while i was on the road he would write um some poetry or some lyrics and he would send it to me and then um and one of those lyrics that he sent was for the song time and space so he, the lyrics actually came first he, he lonnie wrote the lyrics and i was reading him and and in my mind like the music just kind of came up which was kind of cool uh and in and in my mind in that style was kind of like a spock's beard like kind of more spacey kind of style and then so in my mind i was like yeah it would be cool to to make this happen one day i don't know when i mean because right because i was you know doing all right uh, we were playing about nine uh about 200 shows a year mostly in the college circuit for the acapella group so i was busy that's all i did for much for basically three years out of college um so i was a full-time acapella singer <laughs> um but we were so uh one time we were touring over at the uh over in washington dc we went to the aerospace museum and went to the pilot and the moon exhibit and there was uh, a wall of different quotes from different astronauts and and i don't know i don't remember who said it but one guy said i'm observing lobate scarps on the surface of, Mer of mercury and i was like lobate scarps i don't know what that is but that's the name <laughs> of my next band see all the best names come from words that you see and you don't just know what work, they are. Work, work, and, and like, like this sounds, sounds great that's yeah exactly name, name of my next band so uh so i didn't start it until uh about six years later technically um or the live band would actually be um uh, yeah yeah about six yeah 2006 we started may 9th 2006 we started the band on my on my 30th birthday <laughs> wow i started late <laughs> but still i think that's important to note but that's important to note too because some people think that they have to get into music at a very early age to find right. success and that can't be further from the truth i mean you right. can start you can get into music in your 50s if you really want to yeah I, so, I think especially now i think even like it seems like commercially there's a lot of older uh musicians that are that are popping up you know because I, I remember like in the 90s it was like all about being young and vibrant and but now not so much i don't think anymore no i think because it's so music is so accessible right now yeah right it's it is probably the most accessible that we've ever seen it where yeah. it's affordable to get equipment to record yourself um it's affordable to get even decent in instruments to get started uh yeah. you can you know there are tons of tools and resources available to figure out how to market yourself and to release your music on a commercial basis so because everything is so accessible i find that not only are musicians at an older age starting to release music commercially for the first time but on the top of that as well we're just seeing in general just more music being released because of that reason right oh yeah yeah absolutely i think um and especially um especially my genre of music prog rock you know they don't they don't care how old you are it's all about how it sounds not about what you look like <laughs> i assume that was because of the fact that you really grew up with yes and 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 had a musical theater background so you wanted those theatrical elements to be a part of low bait scarp is that correct oh yeah absolutely and then just a lot of those um elements are just kind of in my subconscious anyway so they just kind of come out and just basically everything that i'm influenced by um yeah all that all that prog rock stuff but also a lot of uh i mainly grew up in the 80s so there's a lot of like 80s uh like melodic rock like duran duran and tears for fears and a lot a lot of those elements are in my music as well that's incredible also the thing i uh, wanted to talk about as well is not only about when you were starting as a as an artist but also the genre choice as well because i feel that sometimes when an artist is deciding upon the style of music they're looking at what's currently trending because they mm. want to find success mm. and what ends up happening is that they start creating music that they may not necessarily love themselves but only doing it because they feel like that's going to please others and do what they truly want to do yeah. you know when you started even back in 2006 prog rock wasn't really 
you know, very pr- uh, prevalent as far as a major genre is concerned. Right. Uh, so have you thought about that when you're starting the band? Because I, I mean, kudos to you for going for a genre that is, is I would consider at this point pretty niche, but has also a, a rapid fan base behind it too. Right. It's absolutely very niche. Um, you know, because I think there was there was a there was a uh, renaissance of of modern Prague music uh, in the mid '90s, um, which kind of culminated with um, Spock's Beard and Marillion um, um, was a big one. Um, they were more they started I think more in the early '90s or late '80s, but but they got really big um, later on. And, um, and then you have Inside Out Records, which was the major prog rock label and i think i don't really know when they started but I, i'd imagine it was sometime in the 90s as well um so but yeah so when i when i first discovered spock's beard i so actually i discovered spock's beard at a best buy um I, out their album number five and i looked in the bag it's like spock's beard like i i mean i love star trek i've always been a me huge, too i'm like, a huge trekkie nerd. yeah and me too like, spock's beard <laughs> i'm like what the hell like i remember that episode where spock had a beard like it was yep. like the mirror mirror i think the name of the yeah the alternate was. universe mm-hmm. yep so i was like spock's beard what is this and i turn it over and there's a song that's like 16 minutes long and the last song is like 22 minutes long i was like what the like that's awesome and so i bought it right away the cover looked awesome is one thing. And I bought it right away. I listened to it in my car in the Best Buy parking lot. The first track, like 16 minutes. I was like, you know, I was blown away. And I was like, people are still making this kind of music. So and at that point, I was huge in the yes. And like, yes, definitely influenced my tastes. Yes. And Emerson, Lincoln Palmer and Pink Floyd. And, you know, they made me want to write prog rock. Uh, Spock's Beard made me want to perform prog rock made me want to make prog rock because i was like there's an audience that still wants to listen to this so that kind of built my awareness and then through them i discovered all these other bands uh that were um still doing it and and uh, i was like yeah well there's an audience let's you know and this is what i like to do this is what i have passion for let's make it happen see what happens (laughs) so I want to also talk about your first recording experience because uh, Time and Space, which you mentioned also was essentially the first song that was ever written for Lobate Scarp, um, ended up being the title of the debut album. So can you talk a little bit more about how that came about? Because I think because you started the band in 2006, but then Time and Space came out when, like 2012, 2013? Well, the like album, the official album came out in 2012, 12, 12, 2012, 12 um the so the long story is uh in 2003 uh we actually made a demo a low bait scarp demo if you will oh wow um that was never released so there's a couple songs on there that no one's ever heard of and then there's one song and uh the third song on the on the uh pre-release demo was uh save my soul which later on appeared in time in, in the album time and space uh we we change it up we re-recorded it and everything um so um but yeah but time and space was the uh, very first song that i wrote for uh low bait scarp or the idea that would eventually become low bait scarp um what was your what question exactly <laughs> no, <it's> okay <laughs> uh so i was just kind of curious then when did you come to a decision that you wanted to go into the recording studio and to actually you know, actually make your debut album for low bait scarp oh god yeah, because yeah, I know because I had some friends that, you know, they were like really into this kind of stuff. And I was like, hey, I have an idea. I have these songs. Um, and uh, my friend Andy, um, not my bass player, Andy, I, I have uh, another friend, keyboardist friend, Andy. Uh, and he was great with the keyboards. He was kind of like kind of like a Rick Wakeman kind of thing, played um, keyboards in a Queensryche tribute band. And uh, he had a, his own home studio and he's like, yeah, you should come over and, and let's, uh, you know, take what you wrote and, and let's like record something. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's just do it. You know, so I would at that point, I didn't have the plan to like, let's make something out for the masses. But at th- that point in 2003, I was like, yeah, let's just make something and see what happens. Um, and then later on in two, 2000, you know, 2006, I was just like, you know, I want to kind of perfect this a little bit and i think it's still at that time i was i didn't know what i wanted to do with it i think i just wanted to 
make an album. I didn't know. I didn't really care if anybody w- listened to it at all. But I just, it's pretty much just, I just pretty much did it for myself, you know, like I want, I want to make an album kind of like Spock Beard's album five, uh, which has like, starts with a long song and it has like shorter songs as well. Um, but it's still like poppy and melodic and grounded, nothing too crazy. Um, but you know, just the stuff that I like mel- melodic, um, uh, a lot of, lot of riffs and a lot of cool themes that come back and, and various key changes, weird time signatures, um, but, you know, nothing too weird. And so, yeah, um, then uh, two th- so I was working on um, the album before I met Steve Levitt. I was working on this the, the album um, at another studio. I met this other guy at this. Uh, uh, I used to work at the Macaroni Grill as a server, and he he worked there as well. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm an assistant to a, to an engineer." Um, and it was like during the holidays, and so the engineer was off uh, on vacation. And he's like, "Why don't you, I have the studio to myself for like a month? Why don't you come on over and you know we could get, work on some stuff?" So that's when we started recording uh, "Contradiction," uh, "Moment." Um, well, uh, save my soul and i think one more other song oh, oh beginning of us so we started doing that um there and then when steve levitt when i met steve uh he took over then we kind of then he he was like let's you know i love what you got going on here but i could i could perfect this even further and so then then steve kind of took over the project and uh we took what we already recorded um over at my friend's studio and then we um added more stuff and, and we changed stuff around and uh perfected it if you will and then that's basically that's what became the album time and space but that took about five years to do because um yeah it was uh because we wanted to make a really good sounding album so we we went we actually recorded that in like three or four different studios throughout town like wherever we could find a studio uh wherever we could find somebody um who's free, um, you know, we kind of, you know, we say I saved a lot of money because I did it when everybody was free or people were out of town and, and, and um, you know, just pretty much whenever something was available and, and whenever I did have the money, um, I would save up a little here and there. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I have, you know, a couple thousand, let's do more on this song. So that's why it took like five years to make because I was working wow. like full time anyway, like, you know. So you only have so much time to do everything. <laughs> yeah. Hey, time and space, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I do want to uh, uh, talk real, real quick about Steve, because if that name sounds familiar to everybody, Steve Levitt is, was one of the guests on the 8020 Show podcast, also a real good friend of mine. Uh, can you talk, Adam, a little bit more about how you met Steve? Yeah, Steve and I know each other through um, uh, Shannon Hurley. We met, um, I met, well, actually I met, so I met Ben Eisen originally, Shannon's husband. I met Ben uh, doing um, a show. We were both background actors on the show. I can't even remember what the show was. It was a, it was like a time travel comedy show. I think it only was on there for like three episodes. I think it was like a, he travels back to like the eighties and he becomes like a student in high school. I could, I could be completely way off about the premise of the show, but like during lunch, I saw him reading a, a base book, a book about uh, bases or maybe it was like, um, I don't, or maybe just playing bass. I'm not sure, but I, I played bass a little bit too. I, I dabble if you will. And so I went over to Ben. I was like, Oh, you got a base book. Like I, I play bass. <laughs> And then we talked about bass and that's how we became good friends. And naturally through Ben is how I met uh, Dustin Prince, uh, my original drummer with Love 8. Um, and then Ben, so, so Ben, so I met Shannon through Ben, of course. And Shannon had a show called um, Don't Call Us Tori, which featured a lot of uh, female singer songwriters and which I attended a lot. And, uh, and then Steve was one of the, um, the producers as well as Mixer for that show as well. And so that's how we all met. Um, yep. And yeah, also that's a long story there. <laughs> and that's how we met essentially was through Steve. That's, that's how we met through that's Steve. That's how we yeah, met. Exactly. So exactly. that's, I mean, this is how literally how it works is that one yeah. thing leads to another leads mm-hmm. to another. And when, when I stress the importance of networking and not just networking, but just, just building relationships with people, 
this is exactly the reason why I keep on talking about this right. is because that's literally how things happen is just by connecting exactly. with other people. And those people are going to lead to other people that, you know, it might be, you know, this person's husband or this person's sibling or the cousin or a best friend or a roommate, whatever the case is. And that's how it led into you forming your band or meeting your producer or, yeah. you know, or connecting with other people in the industry. Exactly. It's how it connected to, you know, yeah, exactly. And, and the great thing is like, to me, like most of the things that have happened in my life was through, you know, um, you know, not just like meeting one person and say, Oh, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? It's basically just forming relationships, uh, meeting someone at a party. Oh, Hey, I want you uh, to meet this guy. And then, you know, we became friends and over the years, you know, you get to know each other and then, you know, and then it becomes an opportunity, um, for something, uh, to collaborate on, you know, and that just kind of, kind of works, you know, and kind of thinking of like, you know, like if you meet like, um, you know, um, yeah, I've got, I used to have a card, like pile up cards, you know, probably like this, maybe probably even more like that. And like maybe one or two of the people on those cards I've contacted and, and maybe one of those people we've actually like collaborated on something, but it's like, yeah, you know, you collect all the cards you want, but you know, like it's not going to go anywhere unless, you know, unless you know everything's uh serendipitous things are supposed to happen when they're when they're supposed to happen exactly you know anyway. one of the things that i think that you were really you're really good at and is during nam so the nam show for those yeah. who don't know is a huge uh, it's the national association of music merchants and it's their big conference they have every single year in anaheim and when i say it's big i mean every single vendor that you can possibly think of that does instruments or gear or anything along those lines, anything related to audio basically is going to be there. There's literally what, I mean, a hundred thousand attendees, if not more these days, I mean, it's huge. Yeah. And one thing that I've seen you do is that you just know how to hang. Like you just hang out and chill with whoever it is. It doesn't matter. You just know, just you, that's actually where most of the things happen. Yeah. It's not even on the floor itself. It's all the, the things that are happening afterwards because yeah. there's all these after parties and mm -hmm. all the, these uh, concerts and things like that. And everyone just hanging out and having yeah. a good time. And that's really when you start connecting with people. It really is. Yeah. Cause a lot of people will go to those, um, conventions and they'll be like you know i'm going to do this i'm going to talk to this person i'm going to talk to this person i'm going to see this vendor i'm going to do this but you know i'm just there to have a good time you know like i I'm, i have like I, i'll have a list of people i definitely want to see and uh you know equipment i want to check out you know i, I definitely need to spend a, a couple hours uh playing some keyboards <laughs> that's that's gonna happen for sure um, but yeah, like most of the time, like things will happen when, when, you know, you don't try too hard. I think, you know, when you're not like seeming like you, you want something out of them, you know, or you're like all business, you know, you got, it definitely has to be, um, you know, you're there to play, you know, it's, you gotta show your, you know, you're there, I'm there. Cause you know, I've just, I have a passion for it, you know, and, um, you know, people will see that I think, and that's how I met, um, you know, a lot of, uh, that's how I met, um, uh, John Davison from yes. It's a funny story actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I was hoping you would tell the story cause I was there. Funny story. Oh, you were, that's right. I was there at, for that at the, at the, um, very end. Were you there when, when it was like crazy rainy and it was like, it was, it was, um, it was like, it was like a, like a storm and like people couldn't leave. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I think literally we were in the lobby together. And yeah. I know I mentioned like Steve kind of like nudged me a little bit and said, like, that's John Davison from Yes. And yeah. and if I remember correctly, is that then we we both kind of like egged you on. We kind of encouraged you to go over to him and say hello to to John. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, yeah, I met the guys. Um, it might have been because there might have been another time, because a year before or a couple years before I met a bunch of the yes guys. Um at, at the um at the hotel like at the, one of the after parties after after nan they usually hang out um like as soon as like the last day is over they usually just hang out at the at the hotel and so i went over there and talked to them and the funny thing is i met john davison um uh the it was like the very like last 15 minutes of the official nam 
uh show so he was like around he like was he looked lost he was like kind of walking around by himself and he was like walking around and i had my map on my phone and i was like it was like uh, so i walked up to him and i'm like hey are you looking for something and he's like yeah i'm looking for so so and and so i looked on my phone i was like oh shit okay cool yeah yeah i know where that is and so here i'll show you and i kind of helped and walked along with him uh to wherever it was going and and uh and then on the way i was like hey man i don't mean like to bother you like but is it cool like if we take like a picture really quick and he's like yeah totally he was just like totally cool and and uh you know and 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 then um so i brought him to this thing and then um so that was like my only interaction with him then but then maybe about uh, like an hour later we were in the hotel lobby and then i went up to him again and and, and we started talking and I, and I started talking about my project and and um yeah and, and uh and actually at the at the point i actually did have a part in mind for john uh on uh you have it all the the uh, title track for the album um, and I talked to him about it then. And he was like, yeah, man, I, I totally down to I, I would totally love to do it. So just, you know, hit me up. Um, so I got his contact and, and like over the years, we've been kind of talking back and forth about it and, you know, uh, on and off, like, cause 2016, I was talking about it. 2019, I was talking about it some more. And now finally, uh, we, it, it was actually, it's actually happening <laughs> and he recorded this stuff and it's, it's being mixed right now. <laughs> so I mean, that's incredible the story. And, yeah. and the fact that it happened over, you know, and that's the thing too. Sometimes these things happen over five, six years that it sometimes yeah. takes for something like this to happen. Yeah. I mean, especially like with me, I feel like, you know, it's going to happen, um, faster for others, but you know, it's tough, especially being an independent artist and, you know, I got to work almost full time. Uh, to pay my rent and, you know, and, and support my music career. Um, I don't belong to any label at all. So there's, you know, no one's paying me to, to make money in the recording studio and I want to make it really good. And I want to make a, you know, full big budget album. So that that's going to take time and, you know, and patience basically. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. Speaking of which um, I do want to uh, talk about it a second because you did so much of your, uh, own releases independently yeah. as uh, one of the aspects you went to not only by self-funding but you also looked into crowdfunding as well for yeah. these uh, various albums i mean you've done now a number of times so uh in and starting with even your debut album for time and space which yeah. even at the time i mean we're talking about back in you know 2011 2012 when yeah. crowdfunding was was just starting to get some attention as far as right, uh, exactly. that platform so do you remember what made you decide that you wanted to use crowdfunding as a platform to help raise funds? Yeah. Um, you know, cause I saw other people doing it and, um, it just seemed like to me, it made sense, you know, you're cause you're, you're basically an, I'm basically a nobody and you know, you don't really have a fan base yet, or, you know, I have like a little bit of a fan base. So, you know, people are basically buying your album ahead of time, you know, so you're, you know, you're, they're, they're giving you money to create something and to me that makes a lot of sense because that's what artists do anyway like like professional artists you know maybe the, they usually give you money after you create something but yeah but how do the artists do it you know before i mean they just have to you know that's why there's the whole stereotypical starving artist uh exists but but i don't yeah i don't think it has to be that way i, I think um you know, this crowdfunding thing, you know, I think they have something there, you know, Kickstarter was a, was a little, was, is more of a difficult situation just because you have to, it's an all or nothing platform, which at the time made sense. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, well, you know, they could, you know, cause they don't really know you. We got a lot of people that didn't know me, but they thought the project was interesting. So they gave me 10, 10 bucks here, 15 bucks here as a pledge. And then once we were able to uh, hit the goal, then those pledges, of course, became actual donations. Um, but uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, yeah, I thought it was a great platform and, and the way it was set up was great. Um, we, we tried Kickstarter a couple more times and, uh, and you helped us out a lot as well. So I appreciate it, even though the, 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 the first, couple times that we did kickstarter for you have it all wasn't successful right 
Um, you know, I think we just asked for way too much money um, was the main, I think it was the main issue. Um, and also um, there was other platforms that were um, helping people as well. So I think that might've been another issue as well. Our Kickstarter was kind of on the out. Right. Um, and then Indiegogo and some other platforms at that point yeah. in time, because even with uh, Spirals and Portals, uh, that ca- campaign was, if I, you know, you try to remember correctly that was around what's 2017 2018 yeah so what we did so right then so you have it all actually started um we did a kickstarter campaign in 2016 um and that really didn't go anywhere because we asked for like way too much money like probably like i think like 36 grand or something like the whole scope of the album like we hadn't done anything so i was like let's just ask for the whole budget of the album and see where that goes uh, and then it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> so, um, but we spent a lot of time. Yeah. It's just like, so it's, it's got, you know, I mean, people were interested in it and and we got a good amount of, you know, we probably got over, I mean, I don't know, maybe 120, um, uh, like pledges, you know, so it's, you know, for a band that hasn't done much, I mean, that's not bad, but yeah, just, but it doesn't cover the whole, uh, scope of it, especially in an all or nothing platform. And then we tried it again. So we released a single, we were still working on stuff and we released right. a single beautiful light. Mm-hmm. And then 2019, uh, we did another Kickstarter campaign, but we asked for half the amount of money, uh, to see where that goes. Like, at least we could get it started. Um, and, and we still didn't make it, <laughs> we were close, but we still didn't make it. So, but I was still working and, you know, I took a lot of my savings that, you know, um, that I had. And uh, we finished uh, two more songs. We finished uh, uh, Nothing Wrong and uh, and We Tried. And so I was like, well, you know, it's been a while since we released something. So I'm, I just want to release something. So that ended up becoming, so those three songs were going to be on You Have It All. Right. And I was still trying to get an album out, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to release it as an EP. Um, so I released that as EP and I'm glad I did because that actually got us a lot more, um, notice and attention. Um, you know, and now, um, you know, and so the album, the, the concept of the album changed a little bit throughout the years. Uh, and we tried, uh, the third, uh, the, uh, the third track on the EP that ended up just being an EP thing. So that's actually not even going to be on the album. Uh, nothing wrong is going to be on the album we actually changed the keyboards up a little bit we went to a vintage studio uh, and we used a lot of vintage keyboards so we replaced those those keys beautiful light is pretty much going to stay the same except for the i think the endings are just slightly different um where it doesn't resolve it just goes to the next track um but um yeah so so finally so we did so i was like okay i'm done with kickstarter i mean i've tried it i've done it once successfully because i only asked for six thousand dollars other two which times is, which also i just i do want to i do want to make a yeah. comment about that too is that the fact that for your debut album for a yeah. band that not you know that you were still building your fan base for yeah you still had over 120 backers yeah and raised over six thousand dollars i mean that's definitely not something to take lightly like that that is right. an incredible achievement it's not too bad. And then when people talk about us, usually they talk about the fact that, yeah, we did our first album through Kickstarter. So that, kind mm-hmm. of, that, uh, you know, that, that, that's a very interesting, uh, impressive fact for a lot of people. <laughs> um, yeah. So for this one, I decided to go to Indiegogo because this one would be like, it's not, you could do flexible funding. So pretty much they're basically they're pre-ordering our album right from the get-go um which i was like oh, that's great you know and then i only asked this time i did six thousand that was that was good before so i'm gonna ask for six thousand again and see what happens and lo and behold we were successful finally um we went over our goal which is great um trying to uh, we're still keep the pre-ordering going which is we're, we're trying to keep which, it going right which, which is great, great. yeah because now now the pressure's off of you that you have at least raised the funds that you need to make sure the project's going to get released exactly and- but at the same token, you can still, you know, have your fans continue to support the project and bring more in so you can do more with the album once it's released. Exactly. Yeah, because I, I totally went over my budget, my own my, my own personal budget. So anything that's going through there still to this day is going to help us <laughs> finish it up. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I do, so, yeah, finally. I do also want to talk about. 
Yeah, I know, right? No, I, I'm really, I'm really proud of you, man. Like you've, you've done, you've been through this, you've been doing this for a long time now, and you know, it's important to know that you know, between all the successes are all the failures, and that's the only way that you learn is from those failures to to find out what works ultimately works for you. Exactly. And you know, and that's important for for anybody to know. I mean, really, it. it, it I like to say this. I always tell every single artist that before they get signed on to 8020 now, I tell them that, okay, before we sign anything, I want to make this very clear to you that whatever we're going to do together, the majority of it is going to fail. I repeat that. Everything we're going to do together is going to fail. <laughs> the idea is that we're going to figure out what works together. Right. And that's the whole point. Right. And that's pretty much how he's been spending like the last, you know, 20 years is figuring, right. figuring out what works, figuring out what works. Mm -hmm. and, and it's all is always going to be trial and error. And that's the whole point is that and that's why it's important to keep on trying things, see what works, what doesn't work, why building a team out is so important, too, because then you have other people that you can that you can rely on that's going to help you with these particular releases or just or things in general. I mean, that's why you have, you know, Steve has been a major asset to you and helping you out with things. So um, absolutely. Steve's great. Oh, Steve's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, that's that it's the journey, right? It's all yeah. about the journey. Yeah. We're figuring it out. I mean, Steve's definitely never produced anything of this scope. Uh, even like time and space was like, maybe like, like half in terms of like the scope of what's going on for this next album. Like it's, we've, we've went up like three or four so, levels for this right. one. Like but, seriously. <laughs> and even time and space. I mean, you guys had a, a, a choir come in and do a full recording yeah. of the choir. Yeah. We had a choir. Like Steve was like, you should get a choir in here. And like, I always thought he was joking. <laughs> no, he was not joking. He was not. Then I was like, Oh my God, like we should really get a choir here. Well, that's sometimes you, if you, if you really think, you think about it most of the time you can figure something out to make something you know to make something happen for yourself exactly and that's what you know that's what something i've always admired about steve is just like yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna do this you're like what how we're we gonna do this and he just happened to figure it out and also too um was the idea of documenting the whole thing too which was brilliant yeah yeah he was great he's been really great with um just like reminding me even like now he's like oh you, get, you should film this you should film this you know, he's like always like that. It's mm -hmm. great. Um, so yeah, and I've been and I've been getting a little better with um, figuring out how to um, put videos together. There's like some videos I put together on, um, on if you go to gotprog.com, that's our pre-order that takes you to the Indiegogo site. Um, there's a couple of videos in there, and you know, I added it them myself. Uh, there's one video where we did we did a whole um, live studio session. Uh, it's an instrumental that actually that's going to start the album. It's called Conduit. Um, and and um steve suggested that we get gopros for that whole thing and uh and uh i got gopros we, we did like all last minute so i don't even know if i think our gopros ran out like before we got like any like really good takes for that um but it was set up and i had a bunch of people there helping me set them all up and put them in different angles and everything and um and uh, basically, I took two of the. I took a. I I took a good take with my phone. That's like one of the the main takes that we're actually going to use for the album. Um, I think I called it take four, but in like reality, it was probably like take fifteen or something like that. <laughs> it was take four, like the good ones, I guess you should say. Um, so I used the audio from my phone, and then I spliced it with um, with all the Go Go GoPro uh, angles. And no, nobody was like playing together. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't find any of the takes um, that matched my phone, but I kind of cheated. Like I saw, you know, like Eric, the drummer, like played one thing here and I was like, okay, that works here. And then, you know, and I kind of cut away at the, the, at the good moments. Like if you look carefully, you could tell it's, they're not exactly playing what you're hearing, but it worked good enough. Um, so yeah, I was pretty proud of myself to kind of putting that all together. And that's what I use for, um, for the, the Indiegogo, um, like, uh, like attention video like hey this is what we're working on this is our album um, and then since then I I made a couple of like medleys of us in different studios recording different parts of the album and so um, yeah so I don't know I'm pretty impressed with myself to learning how to use uh, iMovie and 
you know, haven't been like exactly the, 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 the biggest technological person. I just, I just, I always been like a garage band guy, you know, the most like simplistic thing. And, but I figured, but that just doesn't cut it for like prog rock, you know, with all those time signatures, you need logic. So I started learning how to use logic over, uh, over, um, COVID times <laughs> for you, but you know, and that's the thing though, is right. It's like sometimes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that fun, right. Is to learning yeah. these new tools and seeing what's possible. And, you know, and it's, I think it's also important to, at least understand it, right. You don't necessarily have to be a master, right. Yeah. Nobody's expecting you to be a master video editor, but yeah. to at least understand the process of how it works and the skill sets that are needed not only exactly. does it allow you to still release content when you need to but on top of that as well as that as you build out your team you also can talk to them in in their own language because you understand it yourself and also understand what expectations to have on those other on on your other teammates essentially very very good point absolutely so okay we've been talking a bunch about doing things ourselves and learning ourselves but obviously we can't do everything ourselves either right right and uh, one of the things that definitely unless you really are multifaceted is the artwork itself and you've now uh, hired uh, David Hardy a number of times for the artwork which he's a world-renowned artist and if you ever you just do a Google search on him and you can see it's a gorgeous, gorgeous work of all the very, all, almost all of it is, is, is very space themed oh, yeah. sci-fi kind of artwork. Yeah, and it's space, absolutely space artist, space artist. And mm -hmm. he's absolutely incredible. Can you talk a little bit more? Because I mean, this is somebody who's, who's absolutely legendary, especially oh, in, yeah. in, in the sci-fi community. Can you talk more about how you were able to connect with him and be able to, uh, to essentially commission him for your projects? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I used to, well, as a kid, I used to just be fascinated with his artwork. I had one of his uh, books uh, growing up and, and I used to go to the library and like, look at all of his books and all of his uh, uh, paintings. And like, it was so cool. Like, you know, I mean, like this guy used to illustrate stuff for like NASA. He did like concept art for, uh, for uh, 2001 and the uh, never ending story. And, um, but yeah, it's just some great stuff. And uh when I first, the very first day that I moved to North Hollywood from, uh, from Chicago, um, I there was a bookstore and uh, they had one of his books and it had like illustrations of all the different planets. And I looked at the one that, that had Mercury on it because that's where Lobate scarps are from. Mercury. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I looked at it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I should, I would love to use this for like a flyer you know for like our show or something like this was before i even had a band <laughs> so i was like but i could picture it in my head i was like flyer for the show you know i'm not even thinking album at this point i was just thinking like you know just a show flyer yeah yep. just have a flyer uh so when it did come time to do a uh to do a show um i uh contacted him uh, and i found his email he had a website so I found him through his website and uh, contacted him that way. And, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm this guy with a band <laughs> and I'd uh, love to use your artwork for a uh, flyer. Is that cool? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Just, uh, you know, just give me credit. And I'm like, all right, awesome. And then years later, uh, when we were working on time and space, I was like, you know what? I want him to do an original cover for the album. That would be like the coolest thing ever. And so as a birthday present to myself, um i commissioned him to uh to make that cover um so that wasn't even part of the album budget it was just my own birthday present to myself <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible yeah and then uh yeah and then so we've been you know just so over the years like we we keep contact and um he lives in england and i've never visited we've never uh visited him uh, i mean i've never uh had a like an, a live in-person visit with him it would be cool someday to do that um, I think he came to Utah one time and I was, he was like, um, doing some, uh, like photos of, um, like some of the, um, geographical formations over there. Cause there's a lot of cool, uh, imagery. I was thinking about like, maybe like meeting him up somewhere like in Utah or something, but I don't think I ended up, I, I wasn't able to do that for whatever reason, probably had to work all the time. Um, 
but yeah so then like when the ep came out um i liked he had a uh, he came up with something i think it was in the late 70s or 80s it was very kind of like doctor who um and so i used that for spirals and portals mm-hmm. um I was, he gave me permission to use that and then for uh for the new album uh we uh, i basically took a part a piece that he did it basically is basically what you see now for the new album but it had an older lady on the cover and i wanted something a little more more vibrant i guess more uh had like a little more energy uh not to say i don't like old ladies or anything but but i wanted something a little more like um i don't know just more more young i guess i don't know just the feel of it i felt like would be better uh, and so he changed it up and uh and so yeah so now i got another david a hardy cover uh original almost original original based on an old painting of of his so yeah that's amazing yeah so i you know i also want to say you know how amazing it is that seeing everything from the beginning of even from your interest into yes leading all the way up until this point and you know, it's amazing where circumstances kind of led to you to this moment where now this album, you have it all, not only has two members from Yes in it, but also two members from Spock's Beard in it too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, because working with Rich Mauser, you know, he's the mixer of uh, Spock's Beard. And when I mm-hmm. first heard his mix in, in that Best Buy parking lot in 2000, um, little did I know I would actually be working with him you know, 12 years later. Um, but yeah, that's why I, when I contacted Rich, I was like, you know, I, I was like, I had to get, I, I was like, I wonder where this guy lives. Like Steve and I were talking about like, who do you, he's like, who do you want to get to mix this album? I'm like, well, if I had anybody, it would be Rich Mauser. And he's like, who's that? I'm like, oh dude, let me show you. And I showed him all the Spock's beard and all the transatlantic stuff. And and like, yeah, I mean, I got to get this guy to mix. I mean, he's like the prog rock guru, guru, you know, you could have like 20 instruments playing at once and they all live in their own pocket in the mix. Like he's like, if anyone could do my album justice, it would be Rich Mauser. And um, we looked him up through uh, uh, Link, Lincoln, LinkedIn, 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 LinkedIn. LinkedIn. what is it? Yeah. LinkedIn, LinkedIn. I never know how to pronounce that LinkedIn. <laughs> I always want to see like Abraham Lincoln for some reason. <laughs> it reminds me of. <laughs> so, so we found him there and I sent him an email and, uh, and I didn't know, but he lives in Altadena, California. Like it was the studios in Altadena. I didn't even know he lived in California. So I was like, Holy crap. That's amazing. So um, yeah. So I talked to him about time and space. We had everything all like kind of recorded already. And, and, um, and we talked to Rich um, about the album and, and uh, and he was like down to do it, you know, and he knew I was just a guy starting off. So he was uh, and he was really interested in the music and he, he got he got the uh, he knew what I was trying to do. And so he was uh, happy to work with me. So and then well, we've become friends since then and we've done all of our stuff. He's mixed all of our stuff. And on, uh, and we tried. He's co-produced a bunch of stuff as well as he played. He played on a bunch of stuff as well as a additional musician and and this one especially you know, there's rich mauser all over the board on on this one there's a lot of stuff a lot of rich mauser stuff a lot of and of course through rich i met the spock's beard guys real okamoto one of my favorite keyboardists ever uh he was happy to come in the studio uh and do two tracks uh jimmy keegan um he uh former spock's beard drummer now he's in a band called pattern sinking animals which uh, consists of uh, three other guys from Spock's Beard, uh, plus one of the head writers from Spock's Beard. Um, so yeah, so he 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 does a couple tracks as well, and yeah, and then we got John John Davison. So he does uh, the big the big uh, fourteen and a half minute title track, um, as well as Billy Sherwood. He's on that as well, and you know I figured like John Davison, like he sounds great with Billy. I mean, I, if I gotta have if I have one, I gotta have the other. Uh, and Billy was great. And Billy, Billy's a local guy too. So it was, Billy was able to let, let me just come into the studio and I'll do the thing and in and out. And uh, he even added some more harmonies that I didn't even imagine. And it, he just made it sound so much better. It was so great. So the two of them in the, on that track, man, oh my God, it makes it for sure. 
Plus, we added a string quartet to that track too. That's going to be pretty huge. That's that's freaking epic. Yeah, that's, it's am- that's amazing. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing too is that you, it's amazing how much uh, that we as a community, right? That that's the more that you get into the community, ironically, the smaller it ends up getting. Yeah. Right. I mean, and and that's the thing that it's you know throughout your entire journey, even leading up to now. I mean, also the other thing too, not only is this album coming out, but also you're now part of Ross Fest of all things, you know, you know that's prog rock. I mean, it's literally oh, a prog rock man. cruise that oh, you're now yeah. also performing on. Yeah. So it's not, so it's basically, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's in the theater. It's, it's, it's not on a cruise. It's on, um, it's, uh, in the, uh, Sarasota opera house. Oh fits, really? Okay. Yeah. So it's an indoor festival. Uh, it's about, I think it's 1100 people. So, you know, if they fill it up, that's going to be quite an audience. That's huge, um, but it takes place over three days, and um, yeah, and you've got uh, some of my heroes are going to be uh, in the lineups. Uh, you've got John Davis, J- not John Davison, John Anderson, the original singer of Yes. He's going to be there doing stuff with. Um, he's got like a um, kind of like a like a school of rock um, set up with um, a bunch of uh, kids. Nice, like older kids, I think, uh, like twelve to eighteen, uh, and they're going to play a bunch of. Yes songs and John Anderson solo songs and uh, we got Adrian Ballou from King Crimson. Um, he's doing a whole thing with uh, he's going to be playing um, uh, one of the Talking Heads albums because he was involved with Talking Heads. Um, and then there's a bunch of other bands that I love. Um, Dave Kersner All Star Band, uh, which also has Billy Sherwood in it. So that's cool. And that's like, that's a new, um, cause, uh, uh, what was it? King's X had to drop out. I think the guitarist broke his finger. Oh, wow. So he wasn't able to, um, he's not going to be able to heal in time. So, so they got Dave Kersner all-star band and they got like one of the singers who used to sing the Pink Floyd and, um, Fernando Perdomo. Um, so it's a lot of really cool people in, in, involved in that one. And, uh, and then it's a couple like, um, Local bands I really like, uh, the Tea Club from New Jersey, um, Tin Gin, which is a band from LA, uh, made up of different uh, prog bands as well. So they're, they're gonna be there. I know a couple of those people. Um, and then 3.2, which is uh, Robert Berry's band. Uh, he's got Jimmy Keegan on drums. Jimmy Keegan's gonna be on, he's gonna play with them and he's playing with, uh, God, who's, he's playing with someone else. So he's playing with two different bands. I can't remember the second band right now. It's kind of. But um, yeah, that's pretty cool. 3.2, Robert Berry used to work with uh, Keith Emerson back in the early 80s. Um, yeah, it's going to be crazy, man. It's just three-day festival and just people are just hang out and then like be- between the sets, um, they-, they have like the merch tables and they have like a beer garden. So there'll, there'll be people playing in the beer garden and it's going to be like, you know, kind of, it's going to be kind of like a Prague convention where people kind of hang out afterwards and, uh, you know, talk about Prague all day and all night. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'm excited. That's very cool. So I would say to, to kind of wrap this up here, do you have any advice for anybody that's getting started music, no matter what age they are, no matter what genre they're going to planning on getting into musical style? Uh, yeah. What, what, one word of like one, one, one piece of advice I would say, would you give them? I would say if you want to be a musician and you want to put something out there. I think the most important thing is to put out there what you want, not what anybody else wants. Um, you know, you got to show your passion, um, you know, what you're passionate about will show, um, you know, and if somebody discovers you and they want to change you like at that time, at that time, you could decide whether it's worth it. You know, do I want to make a million bucks to sell out? Yeah, sure. Maybe I don't care. I mean, I'm not, no judging. But, uh, but, but first put out what you really want to put out. Um, you know, um, I think that's the most important because, cause that's what, what people are going to listen to. Like, it's going to, it plays through the music. You're like, wow, this is really different. You know, this is not like what I've heard, you know, plus it's different. People want it. People do want different stuff. People are sick of the old stuff. Can I say shit? It's PG 13. You can say shit. Yeah. Once. Yeah. Yeah. People are you tired of the of old shit. We'll they want new things <laughs> in their ears, in their ear holes. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for being on the podcast, Adam. I've uh, always considered you a good friend. And right, thanks uh, so oh, much, man. And uh, yeah, well, and I'm really excited for you for everything that's coming up.
Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Good to see you. Yep, you too. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to The 8020 Show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.